Welcome to Media and Monuments Podcast, presented by Women in Film and Video in Washington, D.C. Media and Monuments is conversations featuring industry pros speaking on a wide range of topics of interest to media makers. Welcome, and thank you for joining us for another installment of our recurring segment, How I Got It Made. I am your host, Candace Block. Each month, I sit down with two different WIF members and chat with these filmmakers about one or two of their successfully completed projects. We discuss their journey and process as we delve into how they got it made. On this episode, I have a conversation with Jane Barbara, and after that, I talk with Sherry Raddick-Stroud. Let's get started. Today, I'm chatting with Jane Barbara, a DC-based screenwriter and producer. She has taken her background and passion for the arts into visual storytelling, writing features, shorts, and television series. In addition to creating works, she also offers her experience and expertise to fellow filmmakers, founding the Scripps DC Conference, serving on panels, and more. Today, we're going to chat about a couple of her award-winning shorts as we get more into the specifics of how she got them made. So, hi, Jane. Thanks so much for joining us, and welcome to the podcast. Well, I'm delighted to be here. This is my first podcast. Oh, well, welcome. Happy to be your first. So we're going to delve into a couple of your shorts. But before we get into that, let's let listeners get to know you a little bit more. Because after all, any project is a collaboration. And the journeys of those that came together to bring it to life is part of how it got made. How did you get into filmmaking? Basically, this is probably the fourth chapter of my life. I started out as a, an artist. I went to the High School of Art and Design. I studied ballet for eight years. I did theater. I ended up at Parsons School of Design. So I had a life as a, a commercial artist and art director I started my own design studio with my sister. So I was always kind of like entrepreneurial, you know, and fast forward, I get married. My husband's a design director. We end up in Washington, D.C. And I've always made up stories. And as an illustrator, I was illustrating other people's stories. So now I had the chance to kind of illustrate my own stories, but with film. There was a local TV uh, station here, and they were giving classes on how to become a a field producer. So two friends and I, we went for classes, and we passed, and we were doing stuff in, in, in our area in Silver Spring, Maryland. And at one of the meetings, this woman shows up, and it's the president of Women in Film and Video. So she said, we're having an open house. And so I said to my partners, I said, we need to go do this. We got to go check this out. And I met Melissa. I saw her across a crowded room. And (laughs) uh, we like ran to each other in slow motion. (laughs) (laughs) A scene from a movie already. Yeah. (laughs) From a movie. And absolutely, Melissa has that effect on a lot of people. So they had a screenwriter's roundtable. And I figured, what the heck, I joined from that script DC kind of came into being. You know, we've modified it over the years. If it wasn't for women in film and video and meeting Melissa Houghton, I would not be able to say that I am now an award-winning 
filmmaker, which provided me with basically everything I needed. And I had the opportunity because I became like the chair of Script DC to bring the people, the industry professionals to our film community from LA and New York, Europe. So we've had quite an array of wonderful industry professionals. In fact, right now we're doing a workshop with Joan Darling, who is like a a legend in uh, the business in terms of direction. She teaches at Sundance. And I've just been able to, with with help, find my actors, find my crew. You know, people don't think of Washington, D.C. as as a narrative film mecca. We, we, we can do some crazy stuff here. It's all about problem solving and actually writing a story. How do you think your graphic design background has helped you in terms of storytelling in general, as well as storytelling visually, more specifically? Well, it was my background. I mean, even at the high school level, I went to the High School of Art and Design, and you took uh, illustration and advertising. So even as a 17-year-old, I was learning how to storyboard. So I just, you know, applied what I learned there to my films, basically because it helps you know, when you're doing commercials, it's, you know, you're telling the story in like 20 seconds, seconds, yeah. seconds. <laughs> 30 seconds. Yeah. You can make people cl- cry in 30 seconds. So, so I just really applied what I learned at uh, the High School of Art and Design and Parsons School of Design in terms of storytelling, imagery, you know, graphic novels. I had a lifetime of looking at comic books. We're going to dive a little bit into Lobster Fra Diavolo, which is from 2015. It was also a Cannes Film Festival short film corner selection. You were the writer and producer of that, which I understand was only the second film that you ever wrote and produced. That's right. And it's since it's been now been screened at over 40 festivals. It's won several awards. And then we're also going to talk about um, Tell Me About Orange, which is one of your most recently completed shorts, which you executive produced. That was also the recipient of the Jane Cusimano and WIF Narrative Shorts Finishing Fund grant. So for listeners who don't know anything about these, can you give us a brief overview about what each is about? So Lobster Fra Diablo happened, sadly, because my mom passed away. And I'm Sicilian-American. And we do, at Christmas time, we do the Feast of the Seven Fishes on Christmas Eve. So for us, the big deal was lobster. Okay. So, but they were live lobster. So you have to kill the live lobster. But when I was a kid, I used to fall in love with the lobsters. And I would play with the lobsters. But I would never eat the lobster. Right. So, so here I am. It's, it's my mom had passed away in May. It's now Christmas time. It's like now it's all on me. I'm driving down the street and I'm thinking, oh my God, I'm going to have to do the Feast of the Seven Fishes. How am I going to kill these lobsters? Like I can't do it. Mm -hmm. And the whole like story like just flew into my head because the last year that my mom was alive and she was in the process, she was around 89 years old. And she was in the process of killing this one lobster. 
And what happened was, you know, there's these pegs that so they can't get you. Yeah, on their on their claws. The peg the peg came out, and as she was trying to kill it, it latched onto her boob. Oh no. And she was wearing she was wearing one of those I've fallen and I can't get up. (laughs) Oh, one of the like alert life alert type things. Yeah. And it went off. Oh goodness. And she's struggling with it. And some voice says, Mrs. Barbara, Mrs. Barbara, are you okay? (laughs) It was just a hysterical this. Yeah. So as I was like kind of mourning my mom, this funny story came into my head and I, and I saw it like a storyboard mm-hmm. and basically rushed home, wrote it. Mm-hmm. And I sent it to Oriana Opice, who is now my producing partner. She could be my daughter. And she happens to be Sicilian also. So I sent it to her and I said, listen, tell me if you think this is funny. And how do I know Oriana? Oriana starred in my first film, Suspicious Densities. So we had that connection from, and, you know, I thought she did a great job and I respect her, her craft and her opinion and her taste. So I figured, eh, if I don't hear in a week, it's not so funny. Well, about two hours later, she texts me and she says, I wish you had warned me about this. I was in Starbucks and my latte almost flew out of my nose. We <laughs> made this. Drawing from real life, sometimes that is the absolute best source of material. Well, that, that sounds was the great. The easy part, Candace, the hard, yeah. <laughs> the hard part was raising the money. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, we could talk about that now. I mean, obviously you have, so it sounds like you have this idea this, this amazing story that you lived and it was hilarious and you wanted to share it. So you wrote it down. And then, yeah, when you decided that you wanted to bring it to life as a short and share it with the world, funding is one of the things you think of first. So how did you go about doing that? Because this is one of your earlier pieces. So Yeah. So I, I think we did, you know, I've done like five fundraising campaigns and I think I've used just about everybody, Kickstarter, Indiegogo and Seed and Spark. So I think it was Kickstarter. We did two. And you really have to do a lot of work to to do a, a campaign. You really have to think like two months out. And what we realized, yes, it's a story about this lady and the cops come and, the, you know, the mm-hmm. whole thing. But it really was what Oriana and I realized was that it was honoring the matriarchs in our family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the heart of the story. Right, that's the heart of the story. So then it was an easy sell once we got that. Mm -hmm. So I was able to go to, I I don't know if many people in your audience might know, in New York City, there there are two little Italy's. There's one in Manhattan, but there's a big one up in the Bronx called Arthur Avenue. Mm -hmm. So we were able to go there and talk to them and the restaurants, uh, the businesses, they were, they were so supportive of us. And I don't want to give too much away or, you know, but now there's interest in like a feature length version of Lobster. Wonderful. Well, well, that's, I mean, that's great. I'm glad we're talking about that one because I know it's, it's from 2015, but it's, Mm -hmm. you know, it's still got legs. It sounds like. Or, you know, little, oh, yeah, little lobster legs. Little lobster. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. You mentioned the grandmother, the lobster, some some people that came to the rescue. But there's also, I believe there's a dog in it as well, right? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> there was a there was a preview. Okay, so you, you didn't end up using it. No, but the well, the I'm burying the lead. The granddaughter is a vegan. So she's tasked with going to pick out the live lobster. Mm-hmm. So, of course, you can't say no to grandma. If grandma, and she doesn't care you're vegan, she doesn't even know what that means, right? right. But if she tells you, you got to go to the fish store and go pick out the live lobsters, you, you know. So that's uh, that, that was part of it. We had to, you know, the thing was, yes, there was a dog originally. There was a couple of other, like, funny scenes that we had really kind of put aside for the future because one of the things I learned from women in film and video was that it really needed to be less than 15 minutes mm-hmm. and 20 minutes it would have been 20 minutes then yeah so we kind of the doggies go to be in the feature film okay but you did get to a, a little bit of a lesson in working with animals which is a whole oh, other yes that was a whole other saga first. My, but that was another film. Was it your, was it your first and last or first of a few? <laughs> Maybe more in the future. No, I love, I love working with animals, but, but they're, you know, they're time consuming. And, and yeah. we really just had like five days. It was winter. You know, on the piece of paper, it all looks like, oh, we can do this. And then you get to the location and the, the it's like, oh, we don't have sun. In, like in 20 minutes, the sun's going down. Mm hmm. You know, so you have to on set, you got to start making decisions, you know, and one of the supporters of Women in Film and Video DC is a line producer named Allison Rosa. And one of the things I've learned from, from Allison is that this, and I think other people probably know this too, it's what was on the page, what's on the page, what gets shot. And how it gets edited. So that's true. That was true of all the films I've made so far. What were some of the similarities then in addition to that? Like, uh, were there any specific similarities in the production process for Lobster Fra Diavolo and Tell Me About Orange? Yeah, if there's always that, the, the, the crossover, I mean, you're going to need a location. There's a lot of work, you know, there's the, I keep telling people the writing of it is the easy part. You know, it's like you, you have to make a miracle happen. You have to find the right people. You have to find the right locations. You hope that the sun and the moon and the stars are all aligned. You hope that as a producer, my job is to make sure that everybody's safe on, on the set, that everybody, like, it's like being an Italian mama. Okay. It's like, Everybody's safe on the set. Everybody gets fed. Everybody's needs are met, you know, and, and they have a safe place where people can play and collaborate and, and, you know, do their best in the time that you have. Yeah. It sounds like there's sort of a inherent natural 
pull towards being a producer for you (laughs) with your background. Is that one of your favorite aspects? I know there's, you know, a lot of filmmakers, especially even getting started and and in the indie world and and just in general throughout the course of their filmmaking career, wear a lot of different hats. It seems like you lean towards writing and producing a lot more. Is that, are those the lanes you want to stay within or do you see maybe directing more down the line? I don't know about directing because my, my partner Oriana is a terrific director. In fact, she's won two best direct director awards. So, and we, we did another film. The last film that we did together was uh, Go Go Boy. And that's won all kinds of awards, you know, and also got into something like 43 film festivals. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, you know, we're, we're, we've got a pretty good track record, you know, in terms of uh, making a product that people enjoy, mm-hmm. learn from, you know, but, but really it's, it's kind of like assembling a family. You know, do you want to, really the question is, do I want to work with this person? Because you're going to experience something pretty profound, you know, and really in, in a very compressed period of time. Yeah. So you have to love and trust those that you're collaborating with. Yeah. <laughs> and for, respecting their talents as well as liking them as a exactly. person. And yeah, and, yeah the yeah. dynamic that you all have. So it sounds like you have a, a core team that you work with a lot. Were, were there any particularly exciting people that were the the different or new people that were specific to each each or either of these shorts that you remember well i have i'm very i am very thrilled that for a lobster i needed a nonna i needed a little italian grandma okay so we we auditioned even though i'm in in uh, silver spring maryland we were going to shoot this in new york okay cuz we found it, we needed a place by the by the water and there were all kinds of, and because of Arthur Avenue and all of that, because Ariana is also an, an actress, she put it out there and she's directing. So she put it out there and look, I, I'm a filmmaker, but basically we're like little baby, you know, filmmakers. We got 600 replies. Oh, wow. Okay. So we spent <laughs> a day auditioning all these grandmas. So we needed grandma, we needed a, 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 a like a six-year-old kid, we needed uh, EMTs, uh, you know, but basically we needed grandma. If we didn't have grandma, we didn't have the story because you had to love her. So when Harry Molisi walked in, I turned to Oriana and I said, we have grandma, <laughs> we have nonna. So... I'm so proud because she's gone on to kind of be the grandma in New York. Oh, wonderful. You had these th- this one in a lot of festivals and including Cannes. Was that something that, because it was a, a short from a few years ago, was that something that opened a lot more doors for you, that name recognition to, to be able to do more pieces after that? Do you think that was a, a huge bump for you? Well, I don't, not necessarily. You you still, you know, you can't just like sit around and wait. About two years ago, without giving too much away, uh, we did get a phone call out of the blue from somebody out in L.A. And they said, do you have a feature-length version? And I said, of course we do. <laughs> yeah, you always say yes first, right? <laughs> you always say yes. <laughs> 
But then what happened was I went back to this. And unfortunately, this all happened right before COVID. I went back to the people that were so supportive uh, at Arthur Avenue. And I said, hey, how would you like this, this and this to happen? And they said, they, so basically there is a board of directors because there's something like 119 vendors it's like an associate business association. So it needed, the script needed to be vetted before they would allow me to film on the streets of Arthur on Arthur Avenue. So I had gotten the yes, but then COVID happened. So we're, we're kind of like, you know, waiting. Yeah. COVID, the, the major, the major reason for everyone to have to pivot, <laughs> make it work in different ways. Um, what advice would you give to someone about getting things into festivals, speaking of festivals? So once you have a piece done, how you go about, you just submit to as many as you can. I mean, I'm sure I, I know that this one has a focus. And so how talk, talk a little bit about how you decide where you want to put things. Okay, so there's a little bit of a story about Canon. Because we were late. We, we filmed in the first week of December. And I don't, I think you had to have something like late for can submission was like the end of February. And Oriana, my, my producing partner is, is like a, a maniac. Okay. I don't know how she got this thing and with the holidays and everything. She got that thing edited and you know, money is money. Okay. So she calls me up and she says, you have can down. It's a hundred dollars. <laughs> Right. And I said, Ariana, look, how many times in my life am I going to be able to even say I submitted something to can right. <laughs> send it? Yeah. Okay. So I don't know. I think uh, so. We didn't even we didn't even have a poster made mm. yet. So I don't know. A month goes by. She calls me up at 830 in the morning being, of course, Sicilian. I'm thinking somebody has died. <laughs> and she says, I think we got into the can short corner. They want a poster. Wow. So sometimes, you know, but I have to say, you have to do your research. The thing with Lobster was it was a feel-good movie. Mm -hmm. It That fits a lot. It, it was the, the writer, producers, the cinematographer, the editor. It was all women. Mm -hmm. So that we were able to get into a lot of festivals Then there's food festivals. Mm -hmm. Then there's Italian festival. I mean, we like you. Okay. So, so that was one of the reasons why. And then, but I have to say, because we got into Cannes, what happened was we got into a lot of international festivals because they saw it there. And then they asked us, can we put it in, in our festival? Oh, so yeah, that's so that was really coming wonderful. to you. Yeah. So we didn't even have to pay, you know, it was like here, you know. <laughs> so if they but ask you, you, you don't have to pay the entrance fee. We didn't have to pay people <laughs> wanted it. It was different with Tell Me About Orange because Tell Me About Orange is, is basically an LGBTQ audience. Mm -hmm. So we had to be very careful, like where we put uh, that film. Because, but so it could, it fit like, Three categories made by women, LGBTQ, and youngsters. 
because it's about a 13-year-old boy. So the log line, it's a blind boy who's 13 years old. And the tagline is, what love looks like when love is blind. So it also, though, is a feel-good film. So I think even with COVID, I think we've gotten into uh, 12th. Each project is obviously its own adventure. What do you think is gets easier and easier as you gain more experience with these? Like what's something you've learned from past projects that you've applied to subsequent ones? Well, you just have a better sense. You know, we're doing the Script DC workshops. And like I mentioned before, we have... Joan Darling, and she's giving us a four-week course on directing. And I think one of the most important things that I learned was to trust my intuition and to, you know, if you get a bad feeling about something, this it's like the universe mm-hmm. is kind of like slapping you upside the head and saying, mm-hmm. don't go there. <laughs> Even if it sounds good. Yeah. You know? And you just have a better sense. Each time you do this, you'll say, okay, I, we need, we need so many hours. We need so many breaks. We need, we can get, we, we need X amount of grips. We need, you know, the, mm-hmm. you just have a better sense of your equipment and who do you trust? I worked on a project one time that was not one of my projects. Okay. It was somebody else's project and the sound person was horrible. So the best advice is you better have a really good sound person. Mm-hmm. That's what, what I learned like up front, but not from my project, from somebody else's project. So look at people's reels, talk to them on the phone, take them out for a cup of coffee, you know, just be very observant and, and see what kind of vibe you get off. And then do, you know, talk to other people who've worked with them. Talk to us about Script DC a little bit more and some other things that, that you do to help out with helping others with story and whatnot. Yeah. So, oh, geez, the women in film and video, I have been told by other industry professionals that we, we got it rocking in DC <laughs> because we're really very open to the spectrum from somebody who's never done this before to an established screenwriter. Mm-hmm. Or filmmaker, you know, so our community might be small, but we're, 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 we're open mm-hmm. and we want to help people because it's so hard. It's yeah. really hard. You know, before I said, you, it's like you're, you're creating this miracle. There's a magic that happens, mm-hmm. you know, when, when you get a great take and people are crying. You know, when the crew is crying, you know, that, that's magic. So we offer, we offer screenwriting, editing, documentary, scripty scene right now. We, we did writing. We're going to be doing pitching. We did composers. Like what, what, one of the things I needed to do for Tell Me About Orange was it's about a, a young Jewish boy. So we needed like just touches. Mm-hmm. You know, of, of the music underneath. I've learned so much about from composers about how music, you know, mm-hmm. directs the emotion underneath. So we provide, I, it, well, who's ever listening to this, because we are now 
you know, over Zoom. We're giving all of our Script DC workshops over Zoom. Just check us out because we've had, we, we have somebody who's, who is taking the course who's in Brazil. Yeah. Canada, Chicago. The whole it's accessible to the whole world now. Was there any advice that uh, you wanted to impart that you hadn't already said about anything for people wanting to get into filmmaking and any aspect of it whether they wanted to focus on for example writing cuz I know that's one thing you you focus a lot on. Well, you know, the people that I I people send me their scripts and what happens is that they're trying to get it perfect. They think they're going to get it perfect the first time. Joan Darling happens to be one of my mentors. I have a, I had another mentor a couple of years ago, Pamela Gray, who wrote The Blouse Man that became A Walk on the Moon. And she, and she's done Star Trek. She's done, she's done all kinds of stuff. Okay. She's an amazing writer. And she said, you know, the blouse man that became a walk on the moon, that was rewritten 14 times. So people, the biggest uh, advice I would give to people is if you have an idea in your head, just put it on the piece of paper. So when I'm reading somebody's, you know, first, second draft, I'm not worried about the spelling. It's like, Mm -hmm. hey, does the story work? Right. But I think a lot of new writers feel, oh, I have to spell the words right. As long as yeah. it's close. Yeah. And then you share yeah. it. You, the other thing you need to do is find a community of writers. And we're, we're putting one together actually right now. It's, I think it's going to meet the, the third Thursday of the month. We're putting together a, a group of writers who, like, if you want to share the first 20 pages, you know, one of the other things we do is the first five pages. So because the people at Sundance, they'll only, and, and, and industry professionals have told me, readers, they read the first five pages. Then, then they read the last five pages. Okay. I had one gal who, who wanted to do one of my screenplays as a feature, but then there was the writer's strike. She said, Jane, I give them 10 pages. If they're a new writer, I give them 10 pages. If I'm not hooked by 10, mm-hmm. keep so, working. <laughs> so it's really about yeah. story. It's not about spelling. And find a group of writers who you tr- also trust so you can share stuff and who are going to give you honest, you know, it's not like, oh, this was so great. Yeah. Honest advice is better honest than just advice. yes, men. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, before we wrap up, if someone wanted to see these shorts or learn more about them and about about you, is there anywhere where they could go to do that? I have a website, testaduramedia.com. If people want to go check me out there, they can see kind of what we're up to. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, T-E-S-T-A-D-U-R-A, media. Media, yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sitting down with us. I know I had a great time. I learned a lot. And wonderful. I'm looking forward to seeing these projects. Okay. This has been a delight. It's so much fun to talk about yourself. I'm chatting with Sherry Raddick-Stroud, a multifaceted artist and creator with over 40 years of experience in the entertainment world, spanning the arenas of theater, television, and film. She is the vice president and CFO of and producer and actor with Wonder Pictures. And you might recognize her as also the voice of this Media and Monuments podcast intro. 
<laughs> Today, we're going to discuss a couple of her most recent comedic shorts as we get into uh, more about the specifics of how she got them made. Let's let listeners get to know you and your journey just a little bit more. How did you first get into this world? Well, my mommy and daddy got together. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, it's part of your journey, right? All of it. It is. I have to say I was born in Brooklyn for all of my Brooklyn friends out there, but I was only there three months and then the family moved. I grew up in upstate New York, but I consider myself a Jersey girl because I went to high school in Jersey. And when I got into college, I had to think of what's my passion. And at that point, Not to the joy of my parents. (laughs) My passion was theater. So I, I majored in theater, minored in dance. And then when I graduated, (laughs) I didn't know what to do. (laughs) As terrible (laughs) as that sounds. All of my friends really thought I was going to go to New York and audition and do all of those things. And I didn't. Maybe I should have. And I should say right off the bat, I'm a strong believer in you are where you are, where you are supposed to be. I'm at the age now where I'm looking back going, should I have gone right? Should I have gone left? What would have happened? (laughs) But You know, if you believe that you are where you're supposed to be at that time and place, then going right or left in the past didn't matter. So I got the degree in theater. I stayed here in Washington, did a lot of community theater, and then I got married. I'm really synopsizing things. And my husband and I moved out to Omaha, Nebraska, so he could finish up his degree. And I put my resume out to all of the theaters in Omaha, Nebraska. And I I mention that because eight months later, when we were leaving, I get a phone call from one of the dinner theaters. Suddenly, they need me. And we were two weeks from moving back to Washington. And I I was a newlywed, and I didn't want to leave my husband, go back by himself. And he, I got to tell you up front, he was the one who said, look, we'll make arrangements, go do it. And I said to the guy on the phone, I, I really don't think we're leaving the area. He goes, but you'll be playing opposite Troy Donahue. <laughs> and I see I see deer eyes in your face right now. You have no idea who Troy Donahue is, but he was one of the biggest stars in the 60s. And this was this was the mid-70s, and his star had kind of but anyhow, so moving many years later, I had to leave theater because of family health. My Husband became very ill. I could not commit to six weeks of rehearsals and then being on stage for, you know, for four weeks, a month, whatever the run was, because I never knew when I was going to have to run to the hospital. I mean, so so there we had a life change. So what do I do? What do I do to feed my soul and and, you know, be happy inwardly. And I I started looking at things that didn't require the six weeks and 
a month and a half rehearsal. I tried voiceovers. That didn't work for me. Not that I didn't get jobs. It just didn't feed my soul. So a friend of mine who is a post-production person, I've known him for 40-some years. We were having lunch one day in 2010, and he was, his business was mostly corporate. And he said to me, you know, I want more creativity. I want to be able to do a film that just requires creativity. So I looked at him and I said, you know, you know the production people. I know the actors. Let's go out to the barn and do a show. Which, again, that refers back to, for the youngins listening, that refers back to the Judy Garland and Mickey Rooney movies, a whole slew of them where no matter what the the topic was, they would go out to the barn and do a show. (laughs) So we formed in 2010 Wonder Pictures. And the concept, because I was working full-time, He had his full-time post-production, so we were only going to do shorts because shorts Mm -hmm. didn't take as much time, and, you know, we we could usually do it fairly quickly. So we did our first film. We filmed it, believe it or not, in about five hours. It was called Spanish Lesson. It was an idea that had been running through Rich's head. I was very, very lucky in having some friends who were willing to donate four or five hours in one day for the filming. Half of it was in Spanish, half of it was in English. And when we went to film, I said to Rich, do you know Spanish? And he goes, no. And I said, I don't know Spanish. A minor yeah, detail. <laughs> we're not going to know if those actors are really speaking the lines or if they're cursing or, you know, playing <laughs> jokes. What are we going to do? So I have a dear friend who is multilingual. I mean, she speaks five or six languages. Spanish is her first la- first language. And Debbie Machado Santos, I will mention her name, dear Debbie, And she was so kind to give us her time. She was on set, listening to the actors, making sure they were saying the lines. And then when we finished and we had to edit it and we had to do the sub lines, you know, because you can't send out to film festivals. If you're not in English, you have to have the um, translations on the bottom. Subtitles. So Rich said, you know what? Let's do this. Let's do translate the English into Spanish, but then the Spanish, let's translate into English. So we we did all of that. She gave us her time. It was wonderful. And to go full circle, that's how we got started in doing films. We were very lucky. We started sending it out to festivals. We won uh, an award at the Mexico International Film Festival for that film. Years later, I submitted it to a Spanish film festival in Baltimore, and it won audience favorite. So from that beginning, where we saw that people liked 
what we were doing, we were encouraged, and film became my new passion. You do have uh, that experience in theater. How do you think that's helped with your overall storytelling? And also, maybe how has it been a bit of a challenge to translating and adjusting things to the smaller, more intimate screen? You're very right. It is a challenge. I'm known for being very broad in acting, and that's mainly because of being a stage actor. You have to catch the audience's attention, so your gestures are usually broad. You have to project. When I was at the University of Maryland, we performed in the, I think it was the Bard Auditorium, that had a between twelve and 1,500 seats. There was balconies and the main orchestra. And at the time I was going, and I'm sure it's different now because I attended Maryland, B.C., at my time there, Dr. Mearsman refused to mic the actors. And his comment was, if you cannot reach the last row of the balcony, you should not be in theater. So we actors at that time learned to hit that back row. So consequently, I'm very loud. I rarely need microphones. And when (laughs) I transferred to film, it was really a matter of having to lower my voice, having to Mm -hmm. pull my actions in. I should say that Wonder Pictures, with the exception of Spanish Lesson, I'm in every single film. I do an Alfred Hitchcock, (laughs) even if I'm just in the back or whatever, but it keeps me trained, I guess is the word. There's better words, but so... uh, Yeah, so there's a really big difference that I had to learn, you know, and and Rich, who directs all of our films, he, you know, again, we've known each other 40-some years. He's very good at saying, Sherry, pull it back. (laughs) Sherry, (laughs) you know better. Pull it back. And and I appreciate that a lot. We're going to focus on a couple of the more recent of shorts that you've done, we're going to talk about Julie Leaves the Nest and Hero's Honeymoon. And as you said, you're in both of them as well. And, you know, you <laughs> play a big part in, in creating those. I'd like to hear how you would describe like what, what each of those are about for the listeners. So like a little quick, what is Julie Leaves the Nest and like the one or two sentence and same for Hero's Honeymoon. Julie Leaves the Nest is just about an overbearing mother who really wants the best for her child, but doesn't take her child's thoughts into consideration. It's her daughter's wedding, and it's the mother's overbearingness and the humor of it all, of what's going on. For Hero's Honeymoon, it it was actually the writer, Bert Kempner. It was actually an event that happened to his parents. Oh, wow. His parents got married on the night that the War of the Worlds was broadcast. Orson Welles, yeah. <laughs> and it was it's just a little vignette of what happened. I mean, he uh, 
Burke took some dramatic license, you know, to make it. Yeah, based on it, a true story. Yeah. That's, that's much better. It is based <laughs> on a true story. And we had a lot of fun with that one. Yeah, because I famously, a lot of people interpreted that War of the Wor- Worlds broadcast as a as real. A real thing. People, <laughs> so a lot of people thought the world was truly being exactly, invaded by aliens. Exactly, yeah. So that sounds great. I'm So it, it, it looks like, and... Stop me if I'm wrong here. Almost everything you do is comedy or or mostly comedy. It seems like you love leaning into that genre. Is there a particular reason that you like comedy over others? I know it's sometimes considered notoriously difficult to do comedy. But yeah, what draws you to comedy? Comedy is usually easy for me. I grew up as a kid and people laughed. And when I was younger, I'm getting serious here. When I was younger, I thought I I took it as people laughing at me and it used to hurt my feelings. And sometime in high school or college, I think it was maybe more college, I realized they're not laughing at me. I just, one of my gifts is to bring humor into the world and... It was much better on my psyche when I realized that it was a gift I had. So we do do a lot of comedies. We've started to do some sci-fis. We've got one that's in post-production that I hope to have out in a few weeks. That's a sci-fi. Like a dramatic sci-fi or still a comedy sci-fi? No, dramatic dramatic sci-fi. We do have some dramas. There's a silent film we did for a competition called The Last Paperboy. Rich called it a comedy. I didn't think it was a comedy. <laughs> I thought it was... <laughs> well, our, art is subjective. Oh, yeah. So, you know. <laughs> you know, Rich said, it's a comedy. I said, mm, I don't think so. It's just about the last paperboy that papers have gone away because everybody's reading the news on the computer. Yeah, it's all digital now. Yeah, so yeah, I, I guess we do lean toward comedy, but we do we do all different kinds. Who doesn't love a comedy for one? And we could definitely use more comedy in the world, especially you know, now. Yes, so. I was gonna <laughs> I was gonna say when the when the pandemic started, Rich called me and said, Okay, we, we can't meet, but what if we got a group of people together, let's call them the isolation players have them record on their phones and let's do some skits let's let's put humor out in the world so we created the pandemic playhouse that is on youtube and it was only going to be one or two episodes but when well the pandemic was only going to be a couple of weeks back at the beginning so <laughs> well that you know so we sent it out to some family and friends and people were clamoring for more they're they're like one and two minute episodes uh, blurbs whatever so we ended up i think we've got 15 episodes on the website that people are just loving so just so we can dive a little bit more into the process for people that are maybe curious sure. about things, how how did you get, we can take them one at a time or however you want, but how did you get Heroes Honeymoon started? Like when you decide that you're going to, how do you know for one, it sounds like you had this story from that personal experience, the, yeah. the writer or whatever, but then how do you know you're turning it into a story? Bert sent us the script 
five or six years ago. And we threw it in the drawer gently because the main character from Rich's point of view and mine was a bus, a period bus from the 1930s. And in talking about this script, we kept saying we can't do it unless we, we get a bus. And then we try to figure it out, okay, if we can't find a bus, can we green screen it? Can we, you know, and there was discussion ahead of time. And then in, I think it was 2019, Rich called me and said, I've been talking to Bert and he wants the script done and we're going to do a GoFundMe campaign. Are you on? And I said, yeah, if we can raise the funds to get a bus, and more importantly, if we can find the bus, you know, I'm on. So that that's what happened. We took it out of the drawer, dusted it off, tweaked it, went through it, read it. You know, we, we do a lot of pre-production. And then we started looking for where we could find a bus, and Rich found the Museum of Transportation in Hershey, PA. I drove up there one weekend, talked with people, and through a series of conversations, I found the perfect bus. It even said Buffalo on it. And in the script, the the people are going to Niagara Falls. So I said, oh, this is a sign. It's a perfect bus. <laughs> yeah. It says Buffalo meant to be. already. Yeah. So they agreed to rent us the bus. We got all excited. They were saying it'd be about $2,000 to rent the bus. Great. Then as time went on and we spoke with them, number one, they wouldn't let us drive the bus to Washington. If we're going to take it to Washington, we have to flatbed it. Well, how many more thousands of dollars would that be? So then we decided, okay, this is going to be our first our first location shot. So we went to Harrisburg and held auditions to get actors from that area. And as it turned out, we got a lot of D.C. actors willing to drive up there. So when we get there, we then find out they won't let us drive the bus on the road, even around there, because it's not road licensed. We ended up having to green screen the whole bus and drop in the motion in post-production, which Rich did an amazing job. They did let us drive the bus. Well, we couldn't drive the bus. We had to have one of their staff people the whole weekend. We were there for three days. We had to have one of their staff people on site. He was a licensed bus driver. He took the bus for a spin on the grass around the property a little bit. They would allow that. That saved us. We were gonna. <laughs> we were on the verge of yeah. uh, canceling. Okay, so that that's Hero's honeymoon. As far as Julie leaves the nest, this script was written by a Women in Film and Video member, John Aaron, sent it to me. I loved it. I thought it was hysterical. Sent it to Rich. I said, what do you think? Rich called me back. I love it. (laughs) So we spoke with John. We optioned the script. It was during COVID. I was 
very nervous about doing it. But when we auditioned the actors, I said, you know, we're going to do everything humanly possible. I'm very lucky. I have a fairly large condo, so it's got three bedrooms. I was able to put one actor in one bedroom, one actor in another bedroom. The master was large enough to have two actors in on either side. I have a fairly large balcony, so actors or production people could go out in the air. But we were... We were cleaning everything. Food was all individually wrapped as it was supposed to be. There's a lot more with the the thing, but we we got it done. And in one afternoon, no, was it two? We did that in two days and it worked out great. So So you also uh, got to learn how to be a COVID safety protocol person as well. I wanted the actors to feel comfortable and they, you know, we had we had one little issue but it was nothing major and this actress went out on the balcony and stayed out except when she was needed and it 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 all, you know, it all worked out. It all worked out. It sounds like you work with a lot of people over and over again. You have kind of a core team, is that is that true? That is very true. So what what did the experience of having to go on location and work with new people, did that inspire you to try to bring on new people for future projects as well? Or Yeah, we do have a core group of production people. I mean, Rich is is always the director and editor. That's his, in my opinion, that's his major talents. We've got a screenwriter in Bert Kempner, but we do search out, like John sent us a script, we do search out other scripts. If we have a part that seems so right for somebody within our group that we've worked with before, we will usually offer that part to that person first. I know a lot of people listening might be curious about if they wanted to start getting into filmmaking. Can you talk to us about some of the things you've done to secure funding and and get these things uh, done? The first film was done on a zero budget because everybody donated their time. And that was amazing to me. I think, and I'm going to quote Rich here, Rich West, the most important thing in filmmaking is having a good story. That is the most important thing. Once you have the good story, then as far as budgeting goes, you have to sit down, you have to figure out what might it cost? What can you get in kind? Who do you know willing to donate? Our second film, which was the silent film called The Last Paperboy, our budget was $50. And that was because we had to rent the bicycle, because we rented a 1950s Schwinn. We didn't want a modern bike because the guy's been doing this for 40 years. He, The last paper boy is like 60 years old. You know, when my gotcha. father saw this movie, he goes, <laughs> that's a paper boy. But we rented a bike and it was 50 bucks. In today's world, there's a lot of crowdfunding opportunities. What I didn't realize the first time I did crowdfunding is... 
Your success with crowdfunding depends on your network. You can't put something up on Kickstarter or GoFundMe or Seed and Spark and expect strangers to come to your site and donate. The bottom line is it's your network of people, of friends, willing to put in $50, $25, Which again emphasizes the importance of growing your Absolutely. network as well. Absolutely. I can't stress enough the importance of reaching out. And if you don't have much of a network, you've got to start joining organizations like Women in Film and Video, like Tiva, like I could go on, but, and you can't just join because being a member doesn't get you to know those people. You know, that's what some people do. But I'm a member. Well, what have you done for the organization? Well, I gave my membership. No, that's not going to work. You meet people through working committees, through volunteering with that organization. People get to know you. Yeah, and showing up to the events that showing they up to the events, put on and host. Absolutely. And, yeah. So it's your network. So we've done a Kickstarter for Suspicious Densities, which was Jane Barbara's script. And this was a, a story about what happens when you get the call about Suspicious Densities on your mammogram. Oh, okay. And having to go back. That is also based on a true event, having to go back to the doctor's office and how you feel. We raised, I think, eight, 8,000 something, but we raised that because people were willing to donate $1,000 toward our film who were part of the network. That was an eye-opener for me. I show my naivety. I thought we'd put it out there and strangers would go, oh, that's a wonderful topic. Let me send you a hundred dollars. No, 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 no. If it wasn't for the people I knew, Rich knew, Jane knew, who were willing to support us, we wouldn't have raised that kind of money. And if you don't have your own money and if you can't find people willing to donate their time, then I don't know how you would do it. You would have to put things aside, create a network, and and go from there, and, and then, you know, do something later. If somebody really loves film and wants to get into it, they need to start volunteering or working on other people's projects to start creating that network of people who would help them. And and also you could get advice from people by working with others about how they they got funded exactly. as well. You know, there might even be like grants or things like that available. Exactly. The 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 thing with grants though, Candace is and this is my problem. If I've got a script and I really like it, I want to do it in the next couple of months. With grants, You have to know a year ahead of time, this is what you want to do. Then you research the grants, which are fabulous. Then you apply. And then it could be six months before you find out whether or not you get that money. So grants are wonderful, but they're not immediate. 
you're you're not going to be able to do your film immediately if you're waiting on a grant. Let me go back to networks for a minute. One of the actresses in uh, the collection, which isn't out yet, emailed me in November, and she said, Sherry, I'm doing a feature film. They're looking for an actress of a certain age, and I laughed, ha ha, I know what that means. Um, Would I like her to put my name out there? I said, absolutely. And within three days, I got a phone call from the producer for this feature film, told him, yes, I'd be interested, I'd like to see the script, sent me the script, got back to him on a Thursday. I said, I'd be very interested. It's a horror movie, not my genre, but, you know, I would love to audition for it. And he said, no, you don't have to audition. You've got the part if you want to do it. I said, yes. So that was a Thursday. The next Monday, I'm on set out in Annapolis doing the film. And it was because of my network. I would never have known about this film. But Jean got a role in it. And she put my name out there. And he seems to really like my work. You know, what we've been talking about this whole time, network, network, network. You know, when I was in school, maybe they did talk about networking, but my ear didn't catch it. I I often think, I wish I knew 40 years ago what I know today, which is the importance of your friends. I had friends in the business. I don't want to say I didn't, but you really have to Join organizations. You really have to put yourself on sets. You really have to just put yourself out there. I would say if there's anything the newbies take away from this, it's you need your friends. You need your network. And it's your networks that will help guide you. They'll answer your questions. Maybe they can even stand by your side. Maybe you can shadow them. Find your passion and go with it and and, and develop those, those friendships that will take you, take you places, take you along with them. It's, uh, it's a great thing. So if anyone wants to see these, these shorts and learn about you and your work and what's coming up, where should they go? Well, we don't have the shorts out yet for general viewing, mainly because we're, we still put them in, in film festivals. Still in the festival circuit, but yeah. But we do have a website for Wonder Pictures, which you can read up on me and Rich, and and you can see our laurels and uh, a little bit about each of the movies. And it's Wonder Pictures, one word, dot net, N-E-T, not com. So wonderpictures.net. Please take a look at us and don't hesitate to reach out. If there's anyone listening that would like someone to help them or you have a question, I'm there to help the new ones, you know, move on up. You can consider me part of your network. It'll be my pleasure. Just send me an email and you can email me at 
Sherry, and that's spelled S-H-E-R-I, one R and an I, Sherry at wonderpictures.net, and I'll get it, and I'll be glad to assist you in any way. Well, thank you so much. I'm sure listeners have enjoyed not only your personality, but your, you know, warm and inviting and open openness with with collaboration and everything as well. So thank you so much for sitting down with us today. Thank you for having me. This has been a joy. That's it for this installment of How I Got It Made. I hope you've gained some valuable insights from our wonderful guests. Until next month, enjoy the continued weekly content from Media and Monuments. Thank you for listening to Media and Monuments, a service of Women in Film and Video in Washington, D.C. Please remember to review, rate, and subscribe wherever you listen to this podcast. For more information about WIF, please visit our website at wif as in Frank, v as in Victor, dot org.